Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Ben Schumann-Soller. So this is it. This is the last episode of season seven. Yeah. This has been a good one. I was just saying to another colleague of mine that I have really, really loved this season. I, I really like the guests we had. I like all of them, always. But this one had a nice range of stuff. But a thing that's that's been uniting all of them, I think, is this idea of presence and being realistic about boundaries and expectations of yourself and others. And uh, it's funny how these seasons do that. You know, there was a, there was a season that was mostly sex and relationships. There was a season that was like simplify the drug addiction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then this one ended up being about like getting really real with yourself about a lot of different aspects of your life. And this, this new episode, this next one, the very last one that we saved because I liked it so much to the very end is another one kind of like that. Yeah, but also I think the thing about the seasons, when we started Simplify, we had this idea of doing it in these little capsule seasons, right? Exactly. We didn't want to just dump content weekly forever till the end of time. We wanted to give people a chance to be able to actually listen to this, you know, in a month or two. Yeah, and like finish something. Yeah, exactly. That's why it feels good, I think, to get to the end, because it's like, that's a cool, yeah, like a cool capsule, you know? A cool capsule, indeed. Well, the last piece of this cool capsule is with a woman named Tiffany Dufu, who does a lot of things. She is huge in the world of women's leadership. And she wrote this book, it's called Drop the Ball. And I think it's referred to as a memoir in a manifesto. And it shows women how to cultivate the single skill that they most need to really thrive. And that is the ability to let go. And I think that's not true just for women. I think it's true just for people in general, like how to, how to let go of the right things so that you can be doing the work that you were put here to do, that you feel most suited to doing. Um, I should also say that she is the founder and CEO of a really cool company that she just started called The Crew. It's a peer coaching platform for women who want like accountability buddies to help them keep them, you know, faithful to the goals that they set. And uh, it sounds really awesome. You'll hear more about it in the interview. Yeah. What's one thing you must remember from the talk that people should keep an eye out for when we roll the tape? Well, there are a bunch of things. We can talk more about them in the bookend, but this thing that really resonated with me was finding your highest and best use. And Tiffany talks about that in relation to her family and what her highest and best use in her family is, is instilling values in her children and helping them become global citizens. And she has this really cool way that she's doing it. And I thought it was really interesting to to look at your life that way to just say, hey, what is my highest, best use in everything I do? And is this something that uniquely I can be doing or can someone else be doing it? Which is, I think, a habit that we get into in the workplace, but not necessarily in regular life. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Then let's just roll the tape and... Um Don't forget to stay for the bookend where we will give tips for further reading and sort of wrap up this episode and end the season. All right, roll the tape. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, So what I always like to do when we start Simplify Recordings is to ask whoever I'm talking to to please introduce themselves the way that they like to be introduced, because I think it says a lot. Well, I always introduce myself the same exact way. <laughs> so that's easy for me. Um, my name is Tiffany Dufu. My life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. So my life is very simple. I know what's on my tombstone. And on most days, I'm just project managing my life backwards from there. That is amazing. Um, Today, I wanted to speak with you a little bit about your fantastic book called Drop the Ball. And I've got to say, until reading your book, I had never experienced the phrase drop the ball with a halo around it. 
it's usually a categorically negative thing. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you mean by dropping the ball? Of course. Well, as you can imagine, you've read the book, but even if you haven't, I also used to think that dropping the ball was a terrible thing. In fact, I used to be a person who was obsessed with never ever dropping a ball. (laughs) I used to feel that it meant I was failing to take timely action, that I was disappointing myself, my family, my community. I, because of identity, took it to a whole other dramatic level and that I even thought I'd be disappointing the entire Black race, as in, if I mess this up, they're never going to hire another Black person again. Oh my God, that's heavy. That's a heavy (laughs) burden to carry. (laughs) So what happened was that I experienced a life-changing event. It could be any kind of big moment in your life. But for me, it was the birth of my first child in which all of the balls that I used to be able to brilliantly juggle came crashing down (laughs) onto the Mm. floor. And one of my observations when that happened was that Armageddon didn't hit, meaning that all of the things I was always terrified would happen if I ever dropped a ball those things didn't materialize when I actually started dropping balls, meaning no one ever called me to tell me they don't love me anymore. They're not going to be my friend because I didn't respond to their text or I missed the party. I didn't get fired from my job. (laughs) No one came to read me my Miranda rights, which I always thought would happen. And so I began (laughs) to question, why is it that I've been so paranoid about not dropping any balls. Like what's been happening here? And that took me on a bit of a journey of reappropriating the term. So for Mm. me now, dropping the ball means that I've let go of unrealistic expectations of doing it all. That I figured out what matters most to me and what my highest and best use is in achieving that. And most importantly, I figured out how I engage others in this process so that I can live a life that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I I really loved about the book is that you make it really clear why it matters if you don't drop the ball. On its face, staying up for 20 more minutes to meal plan or iron your child's clothes or missing a work dinner, it doesn't look like much, but it really, really matters because these domestic choices are tied to women's economic and cultural success. So I thought To frame the real urgency of the topic, it would be really lovely to hear you speak about the repercussions of not dropping the ball. Yes, absolutely. I love the way that you frame that, Caitlin, because it's all of these little things that Mm. seem inconsequential. But when you add them all up, it really does amount to a lot of labor psychologically, emotionally, physically. I used to be someone who felt that all of the hangers in the closet should face a certain direction. And I would go into the closet and just like kind of fix it. I felt that the towels in the linen closet should be folded a certain way. I felt that all of the mail, the snail mail that you get should be dealt with on the day that it comes in the mail, because otherwise it's just going to pile up. I felt that all of the leftovers in the refrigerator should be eaten in a certain order. You laugh at them. You know, they all seem like very small things. I mean, it's only taking me 
what, you know, 30 seconds to like flip that hanger. But the repercussions are that all of that amounts to energy and focus that you're not devoting to what really matters to you because you're by default doing what you feel like is expected in order for things to be Mm -hmm. orderly. And so it really is a drain on the energy. It's a drain on our talent. It's a drain on our ingenuity that now in hindsight, looking back over the years, I've been able to Mm -hmm. redirect to being on nonprofit boards, to raising money for girls' causes, to writing a book. (laughs) I like the idea of of redirecting energy because, as you said, you know, fixing the hangers, God, it makes me feel good too, I have to say. But (laughs) is that your highest and best use? Probably not. Um, So here's the thing that I was thinking about when I was reading. If you drop the ball, it has to go somewhere. And In your case, oftentimes the ball went to your husband, Kojo. And in fact, I think if I had to retitle your book, I'd call it Pass the Ball, How to Get More of What You Want at Work and in the World by Getting the Support You Deserve from Your Male Partner. Have you ever considered turning this book into a manual for men who can tell that their partner is angry with them, but they're not sure why? Well, it's funny that you asked that question because... I wrote the entire book before I shared it with my husband, Kojo. And after he read it, he came to me. And the first thing he asked was, is this what's been going on in our house for like almost 20 years? (laughs) And I said, "Um, yeah. He was (laughs) like, every man should read this book. Oh my God. You know, he's like, now so much makes sense to me. There's so much going on inside of your head that I never understood and that I was conditioned to just not ask about Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in order to make things smooth uh, and in order to ensure our happiness. But it is so helpful to understand why you get angry that I ate the chicken instead of the meatloaf in the <laughs> refrigerator. <laughs> so there's so many lessons that I learned in reflecting on the journey. But one of the biggest lessons is the importance of just speaking what's on your mind (laughs) and not assuming that people are going to read that. I used to engage in this phenomenon that I call imaginary delegation. Mm -hmm. This is when you assign someone a task and you fully expect them to complete the task. And then when they don't do it, you become very frustrated. It may dawn on you at some point, well, I didn't actually tell them that I wanted them to do this. Like common sense at some point will prevail, but then you'll snap back at common sense. Well, can't he see that the recycling needs to be taken out? I mean, I can see that it's overflowing. Am I the only person around here who can see that? And it sounds, you know, funny to say it out loud, but that's indeed how I was living (laughs) my life, kind of expecting people to understand what I needed. And Part of what I had to learn how to do was to stop assigning people things without communicating it to them out loud and really teach myself how to have intentional conversations, proactive conversations with people who, for the most part, want me to be my best and want to support me, uh, but can't because they don't know how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one of the things that I heard there in what you just said is that 
one of the reasons that women don't drop the ball is that we don't know how to have the conversations that we need to have in order to get the help. And I mean, there are so many cultural barriers to dropping the ball. Um, What are the other reasons that you identify that it's so difficult to relinquish some control and to, to take on less responsibility? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons, and certainly for me, is a lack of awareness that you're maintaining control mm. and that there's another option. So I did not think of myself as someone who was, you know, grasping onto balls or if you would have said, are you a control freak? I would have said, no, I'm not a control freak. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the things around here that I'm the best at doing, yeah. meaning that this work has to get done. I'm better at doing it than anyone else. Not taking into consideration the fact that, well, maybe you're better because you just do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe other people just haven't had practice. It's not that there's something innate about the way that you're, you know, and really understanding that I was socially conditioned Mm -hmm. to believe that I was the best Mm -hmm. at this. You see, because what happens is you assume that you're the one making all of the decisions and that you're setting up your own expectations of yourself when really that's not what's happened. That's not how you arrived at your identity. (laughs) So in some ways, the first step is really understanding how socialization works and how you have been impacted by it the way that everyone else is. Mm -hmm. You know, we all are born into our lives playing certain roles. If you were assigned girl, your first role was probably daughter If you were assigned boy, it was son. If you had siblings, you became a brother, a sister, friend, a student, a worker, a manager, husband, wife, you know, scholar. We all have all of these roles. And what I find fascinating in talking to so many women over the years and listening to their stories is that even though we're born in different parts of the world, Caitlin, to different families that have different values, somehow, if you took all of these roles and created a job description based on them, we all ended up with the same job description (laughs) for what it means to be a good anything. Um, One of the lines in the good mom job description is that you need to be physically present when your child takes their first steps. Mm. I can't tell you the number of women who have come to me. And the problem is that you know, especially before this pandemic, that they have to take off for a work event. And they're stressed because their child, who is about a year old, is going to start walking while they're away. They will have missed the child's first steps and it will have meant that they're a terrible mother. I cannot tell you the number of times that this is the dilemma. And whenever I ask any of these women, do you remember who was there when you took your first steps? Mm. They all look at me and they're like, well, no, not really. I don't really remember that. I said, well, that's really interesting because I speak to a lot of women who perceive that that is like the most important moment (laughs) in a child's life. And the job description, by the way, for a good husband, a good father, there's this insidious line that says you must aspire to be a breadwinner at all costs, Mm. even the cost of meaningfully engaging with your family. And so understanding all of this helps you to dig into Well, why is this in my job description? I always encourage people to ask themselves two questions in relationship to their roles, to like actually write out their roles, to first ask themselves, what does a good ex do? What does a good manager do? What does a good sister do? And to write out the responses as if you were writing a job description. Mm. 
And then to ask yourself, how do I know that this is what a good ex does? How do I know that a good worker is always the first to show up and always the last to leave? How do I know that? When you begin to dig into that, what you'll realize is that the answer to that question is never you. You'll go back to, well, I guess my mom did that. That's what my first boss did. That's what I see in the movies. Right. And it's that reckoning that you are not the source of your own expectations of yourself that I actually think is a precursor to, okay, how can I rewrite that job description in a way that works for me? Absolutely. I wanted to circle back to your introduction because it also links up to knowing when it is okay to drop the ball. If you're holding on to all this stuff that you're doing uh, and building up resentment towards your partners at work or or at home, um, how do you know what you can drop the ball on? Mm, that's such a great question. This is why the answer to this dilemma was a book. Mm. <laughs> um, because what happens in a book is that you're able to take someone on a psychological journey mm -hmm. of really uncovering what it is that's getting them blocked. So you can't determine what ball you can drop until you're clear about which balls you should be holding, mm -hmm. which balls you should be prioritizing, first of all. So you've got to go through a process of getting really clear about what matters most to you. Usually when I ask people what matters most to you, they rattle off different aspects of their lives. My career matters. My kids matter. The question I really encourage people to dig into is, what do you hope to achieve in relationships? to that area of your life. My career matters to me too, but what matters most is that I'm advancing women and girls <laughs> in my yeah. career. My kids matter to me, but what matters most is that I'm raising conscious global citizens. That kind of clarity is important so that you can then figure out, well, what is my highest and best use to achieve that? Let's take my kids. One of the things that only I can do in relationship to my kids is instill values in them. So when you're thinking about your highest and best use, are there things that other people could do that it wouldn't be callous or irresponsible to delegate? And what are the things that it would be highly callous or irresponsible to delegate? And for me, instilling values is one of those things. So my highest and best use in raising conscious global citizens is engaging my kids in a meaningful conversation every day. Mm. Who did you laugh with today? What choices did you make today? Uh, I have a 14-year-old son who's not feeling my coaching sessions right now, so <laughs> I had to ask him yesterday, oh, if someone, if an alien spaceship came down from outer space and abducted someone from one of your Zoom classrooms today, who would they have abducted? <laughs> I was like, oh, they would have taken Jake. I'm like, okay, okay, talk to me, you know, about this. And in that way, I can hopefully help them to develop a positive relationship with themselves with the world around them, with their teachers. That, Caitlin, is at the top of my job description, my new job description that I've written for what it means to be mm. a good mom. And there are other things on that job description, by the way. When people get old enough, like your kids, to be able to tell you, you need to be engaging them in the process. So about every six months, I ask my kids to have a meeting and their task is to tell me the top three things they feel that they need me to do in order for me to be a good mom and for them to feel like mm. I'm a good mom. 
And it's the best exercise to do with other people in your life because what they tell you, I swear, will always be less than <laughs> what you expect of yourself. So you can drop those balls. Once I'm clear about my new job description, I feel confident knowing that if I dropped the ball on almost anything else that wasn't on that job description, I might have to face the consequences. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. But I'm still a good ex. I'm still a good mom. I'm still a good wife. I'm still a good sister. I'm still a good CEO. And that makes all the difference in psychologically, you knowing that each and every day you're doing exactly what you're supposed to in order to move your life and the world forward. Ah, that is so useful. And I love that that this exercise you do with your kids gives them the opportunity also to decide what they like and what is important to them in intimate relationship. Because I mean, our parents are the most intimate relationships we have up until, I don't know, whatever age we have our first real intimate romantic relationships, I guess. Um, but that's such a, a beautiful exercise for them. It is in the context of what matters most to me and my highest and best use, right? If you asked, they have a father. If you asked him <laughs> what matters most to him, he would probably say something about academic excellence and being self-sufficient. Hmm. His highest and best use is sitting down and making them do all of these math exercises. Hmm. <laughs> He's a great mathematician. He's a great engineer. And for better or for worse, his kids will be good at math. Yeah. Right? So that's why it's so important for you to determine first what matters so that you can direct your energy and your time and your resources and talent into fulfilling that, you know? Yes, I want them to be conscious global citizens, but what else does that mean? Well, it means that probably whether or not they get into an Ivy League school is not my highest priority. For some parents, it could very well be. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Hey, this is just a quick break in my talk with Tiffany. We all have a lot going on, and if we don't intentionally decide on our priorities, balls just start falling out of our hands. And reading is one of the balls that a lot of us drop without really wanting to do that. It's just that it can be so hard to find time. But that is what the Blinkist app is here for. At Blinkist, which is, by the way, where Ben and I work, we are all about finding cool new ways to fit learning into your life. We take key ideas from books and now podcasts and distill them into 15-minute text or audio, easy-to-digest capsules that you can enjoy while you're waiting, cooking, commuting, whatever you're doing. But as with most things, it is better if you just try Blinkist out yourself. So go to Blinkist.com simplify, click try Blinkist in the top right-hand corner, and you can try it for free for 14 days by entering the code DROPIT. That is one word, no spaces, D-R-O-P-I-T, drop it. Blinkist.com simplify, use the code DROPIT, and you're good to go. And now back to my talk with Tiffany. One of the most special things about this book, actually, what really struck me personally, is that you're so open and candid about some of the ugliest stuff that couples go through. And it's really freeing. And it, I think it's really galvanizing towards change. Um, your story about getting angry at your partner for not doing things on your schedule. I mean, there are a lot of those stories in the book. Um, I can really relate. And I think that, you know, some things might have gone differently in my last relationship if I had read this book. And I, when I was reading the other night, I remembered suddenly that there were times that I lashed out by folding 
only my own dry clothes and not his. I just leave them on the bed in a heap. Check. <laughs> yeah. I had built up so much resentment over what I perceived as me doing more that I just could not bear to do that one last little thing. And it was awful. I hated myself for it, even as I was doing it. And yet I almost felt entitled to it. Mm-hmm. And I love so much that you talk about these hard feelings in your book in such a candid way. Um, but many women including ones I've talked to while reading your book, can't seem to do that. How do you start to process and clear these emotions so that they don't lead to a disastrous downfall or they don't lead to you bottling things up inside and leaving your partner's dry clothes on the bed in a heap? Mm-hmm. One of my mentors said to me something that I'll never forget, Caitlin. She said, Tiffany, resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You are dying. You are dying and it is your problem and you have got to deal with it. So um, the answer to your question is get help. You could go get professional help for things like managing your emotions and figuring out what's going on with you. There are entire industries, the coaching (laughs) industry, you know, for people who really need support. Fortunately, I was able to manage some of those emotions by having people in my life who were much wiser than me. I used to call them my sages before I understood what mentors were, who spoke their truth to me and who I respected. Mm. In fact, my next solution for women is all about community. People often ask, well, when are you going to write another book? Mm. And my answer is always, well, when women have a problem and I feel like another book is the answer to that problem. Uh, Right Mm -hmm. now, I feel that the best answer to another challenge, which is, okay, I understand that I need community and people in my life that can support me and hold me accountable, but I don't have that group of people. The solution to that problem is not me writing a book. (laughs) It's a company that I've launched called The Crew, Mm C-R-U, and we match circles of women who collaborate to meet their life goals together. Uh, You know, research shows that we're 95% more likely to achieve a goal or realize our intentions when we've both committed to another person or a group of people. And when we have regular check-ins to keep track of our progress. But most of us do not have a dedicated group of people in our lives that are really there to just hold us accountable for us living our best life and and being our best selves. For the past decade or so, I have had that group of people. I call them my crew. Mm -hmm. And they're nine other women who I connect with on a regular basis who understand what I want to achieve and hold my feet to the fire. Uh, But one of the challenges I realized in evangelizing this idea of the crew is that the average woman is pretty much up to her neck in working a full-time job, taking care of her family. Uh And so, you know, the work that's required to do the networking and find this dedicated group of people is what I wanted to take off of women's shoulders. So we basically take the work out of networking and our crews gather on a monthly basis to support one another. It's really beautiful. And um, I encourage anyone out there to apply. So cool. I'm intrigued about this myself. I may be looking that up after this uh, interview. Um, You mentioned that one of the gifts of your life is that you have your crew, you have your sages, you have people to talk to. And 
one of those people is, of course, it's your husband. But I also, I wanted you to just mention your incredible friend Toya and how she, how she helped you become the person you needed to be at a really important year in your life. Because to have more models of women doing things like this with other women, I think is just so beautiful. Oh, Caitlin, you're the first person to ever ask about Toya. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. So for everybody who's listening, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. For so everyone am I, who's finally. <laughs> um, who hasn't read Drop the Ball, there was a moment in my relationship with my husband in which he needed to leave. Um, he, he needed to travel to Dubai. And we were living in New York at the time. Um, we have a lot of clarity about our decision-making and how we make decisions based on whether or not it's in alignment with the values our parents instilled. Will it put us on a path to financial freedom? Will it advance women and girls or sub-Saharan Africa? He's from Ghana. If the answer to these questions that we have are yes, we just move forward. And he needed to take a job in Dubai but I had a two-year-old. <laughs> I was expecting, we just found out that I was expecting another baby. Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job. And when we told our community that we were going to do this, one of my sorority sisters, Toya Taylor, raised her hand and said, okay, you guys are crazy and you need help. How are you going <laughs> to raise a two-year-old? Like gestate this other child and work full time and be by herself. She gave up her rent controlled apartment in Brooklyn, which if you are a New Yorker <laughs> or know anything about the housing system in New York, just that alone to move in to our apartment for an entire year to get me through basically parenting and being pregnant and working full time. Mm -hmm. At the time, she didn't even know how long it would be. She didn't know mm -hmm. if it would be two years or three years. She just said, this is what is needed. And it was the most generous thing I think anyone has ever done for me and my family. But if you asked Toya, she would say, of course I did it. She doesn't even understand why it's such a big deal. <laughs> why, you know? Yeah, she's just like, well, yeah, of course I did that. That's what we do. Oh. Thank you for talking about her now and in your book. I just, when people get into long-term committed romantic partnerships, whether or not they're married, it means that the rest of your community kind of falls to the wayside and you begin depending entirely upon the spouse or, you know, your significant other. And I just, I wish there were more models of friends doing things like this for each other because... I think it eases up a lot of burden on the romantic partner and it makes life so much richer. It's, I guess, a thing that was very alive to me in your book because I've lived in Europe now for 13 years. I, I come from the U.S., as you could probably tell from my accent, but um, I would never have made it through without incredible friends who have accompanied me to hospital appointments, who have just really gone out of their way for me. And when my parents tell me, I'm so worried about you, you're there alone. You've been there alone for so long. I'm like, mm. but I'm not alone. I'm not. Right. It's just so interesting to me that we reject the idea of togetherness that isn't with a romantic partner with whom you're raising a family. Mm -hmm. um, I always like to ask two things at the end of an interview. One is, if you could leave every listener with one idea about 
their responsibilities with relation to how much they're managing. What's an idea that you would want them to have? I think the most important is something that my parents taught me. My parents are originally from Watts, LA, Mm -hmm. and they got out of that environment through my dad joining the military. I was born at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington. They broke a very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in just one generation. And they did it through social safety nets like the GI Bill, but also through this fundamental belief, which is that if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. Mm. And in any given moment, especially when you're dealing with the overwhelm of life, to just stop and think, what is the pattern that I keep repeating over and over that's not working? And what do I need to do new to disrupt this in order to create a different reality for myself, I think is so critical. Yeah, it's so important. Thanks. And then the last thing to take us out, I always, always ask people who've written books, what are you reading lately or what's made a big impression upon you lately? Cicely Tyson's Just As I Am. Ooh. It should be required reading for every individual. This is a woman who lived life on her own terms during a time and a place where that just felt and seemed impossible. Mm. And she is such a model for all of us of of purpose, of passion. I mean, I was reading this book and by the end, like there was snot dripping down my nose. My tank top was wet with my tears. That's a good (laughs) book. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good (laughs) book. Um, I, I just finished it and I highly recommend it. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. All right, Tiffany Dufu, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's been such a pleasure and thank you for your book. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the bookend, the last bookend of season seven, where we end with books. Yeah, I really, really loved this interview. Tiffany was I don't use this word lightly. I've used it maybe like three times in Simplify History, but I found her really, really inspiring. She just felt really great to talk to and um, and made me, you know, look at my life and, the, and my priorities in a, in a new way, which was cool. Yeah. What's standing out from you now? You know, you recorded the interview a little while ago. Well, I said in, in the intro, I talked about highest and best use, but I, I think a thing that I have to remind myself of is this idea of imaginary delegation. Mm-hmm. When you want someone to do something and you don't actually tell them that, you just assume it's their responsibility and you'd like them to do it. But the thing is, you have to articulate these things. You have to make them clear. And if you make clear what it is you hope someone else will do, then, you know, everybody gets what they need. But it's really hard to do that. So I have to like remind myself of this idea of imaginary delegation and not to do that. What... um what was that line about resentment? Ooh. When you resent something, you are drinking poison? Yeah, she said resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, it reminded me of one time I listened to a, um, a German podcast did a, a ritual on forgiveness, mm-hmm. and that was what it was all about. It was like resentment is actually about forgiving yourself. Yeah, it's really corrosive. Yeah. 
Yeah. What did, did anything else strike you? I guess that line, but. Well, that line, but a couple other things. One was, um, you know, this episode, just kind of taking a step back. I feel like a lot of people talk a lot about what are my goals? What am I doing? What's my purpose? What are tools to, you know, icky guy, get it all together. You love talking aligned. about icky guy. <laughs> I love icky guy. <laughs> what I liked about this episode was like, okay, for the people who have the goals, for the people who know their values, mm-hmm. this is step two. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by like, this is step two? What did you find like practical or easy to implement well, she, about it? She has a very clear idea of what her purpose is yeah. and what her highest and best is. And not a lot of people can do that. That's a life's journey in and of itself, yeah. right? So I think the trouble you see is when people just act so against what's actually important to them. And mm. that's where I feel like this connects to a lot of other themes in the season, like Natalie Liu. Mm-hmm. You talk about what boundaries do I need to have? How can I talk about this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, or even something like Eric Fisher, you know, what am I actually spending time on? What is productivity? It's actually not packing in as much work as I possibly can. It's feeling like the things I'm spending my time on are the right use of my energy. Right. Yeah. And that's totally right. And it makes me think of Ken Page too, this idea of getting really, really honest about what your core gifts are and living from them. Right. Instead of acting like whatever you think you need to act like to be appealing to someone else or the culture. Right. Um, but that's cool. I mean, I, I like this as the last episode mm-hmm. because it is, it feels like if you could apply like a little bit of each one of those episodes, you'd be ready then for, okay, what's this going to look like now on a daily basis? What's it going to look like as a mom, as a leader, yeah. as a friend, as a colleague, as a dad. Yeah. I love what that exercise that she does with her kids so much. She asks them, like, what do they need from her for her to be a great mom? I think it's neat to get children in a habit of really thinking about what it is they need from other people to be happy and to feel okay. Um, I don't think that was a thing that I was ever taught to think about. Like, do I have needs of of anyone? I don't have needs. <laughs> Right. So I think it's a, an interesting exercise to just like ask kids to be like, yeah, can you think about this? What, what might that be? Totally. That was a really smooth, I don't know if you did that intentionally. That was a really smooth way to also bring up the Tina Payne Bryson episode <laughs> and connect it to another episode from season seven. And that one's also about being present, being aware of your own feelings, being there for your kids, being there for your family. Connects also to all of this. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So then we should probably give people some books too. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. I have one, and it is Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. This is by Reshma Sojani, and it's about claiming your voice, leaving behind the things that make you unhappy, you know, going for the things that you really passionately want, which is really in line with what Tiffany says, too. Um, Sojani, is a, she's a lawyer, and she's a politician. She's the founder also of this nonprofit organization called Girls Who Code. Uh, which I've seen around before and Tiffany is also part of. So yeah, it's a cool book. Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. How about you, Ben? Do you have one? Um, You remember Laura Vanderkam from season one? Could never forget Laura Vanderkam. Laura Vanderkam has a book called I Know How She Does It, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time. Mm -hmm. And I can recommend that. I mean, I think the quote that we've used before uh, on the Blinkist magazine was something like, treat your priorities like they're flooding your basement. Yeah. It's another way of thinking of drop the ball. It would be like you dropping the ball on the things that aren't that important to focus on the important ones. The other way would be to flip that. Yeah. Say, exaggerate the importance of the other ones. Yeah. Right. They're so important. I think Laura Vanderkam had a thing in that book of there's some like millionaire CEO woman who's traveling all the time, like boss, crazy, intellectual, amazing person. 
and then her basement floods. Mm. I think that's the story, right? She's got like three kids, husband's out of town, and then she handles it and she just does it. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. What gets cut out when my basement gets flooded? Yeah. Do I need to be doing all that stuff? I just mm-hmm. need to treat it like that, that dramatically as a prioritizing principle. Anyway, what about you? What about another book? I think that's it. We've got plenty of books this time. Two's good, no? Yeah. Wow. Great season. Yeah. That's it. So yeah, we'll be back for season eight. We will not be gone as long as we were this time. And also, we have some cool bonus stuff that we will be releasing for you throughout the summer. So make sure that you're subscribed if you haven't already in whatever podcast app you use. And you'll get notified whenever we drop something new. Yeah, nice. Subscribe. And thanks so much for riding with us this season. Yeah, we're thankful for people who stuck around, even though we were gone for a while. We're thankful for the new listeners. Write us. I'm at Caitlin Schiller on Twitter. Ben's at Bisto. You can write us all at podcast at Blinkist.com. Um, Simplify was produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann Stoller, Marta Medvedtsek. And yeah, Simplify comes out of Blinkist, which is where Ben and Marta and I work. Uh, it's an app. It gives you the key insights of really great nonfiction books and also now podcasts in our other format, shortcasts. You can listen to them in about uh, 15 minutes each, and they're they're just really cool. Yeah. If you don't have the app but want to check it out, go to Blinkist.com slash Simplify, and um, we made a voucher code so you can try it for free for 14 days. If you go to Blinkist.com slash Simplify, tap on Try Blinkist in the upper right-hand corner, and then use the code Drop It, not Drop It Like It's Hot, but just drop it. And yeah, you'll get 14 free days of Blinkist to try it out and see what Caitlin and I do when we're not recording this. Yeah, that's drop it, no spaces, one word. Drop it, D-R-O-P-I-T. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you for a great season. Check it out. Check it out. This was really fun. See you next season. Bye. Bye.